You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series about courts and court administration. Brought to you in association with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. On Thursday, August 30th, a tropical squall formed over Cape Verde off the west coast of Africa, kicking up high winds and rain. It made its way west across the Atlantic to the southeastern coast of the United States. By Wednesday, September 5th, the storm had turned into Hurricane Florence. On September 14th, two weeks after it had been born, Florence made landfall near Wilmington, North Carolina. And then Florence stalled. It sat over the state, dumping 35 inches of water, nearly three feet, on cities and towns. Court administrators in the state could see it coming. And so we asked the question, what would you do? How would you prepare? And finally, once it was all over, did your preparations work? I'm Pete Kiefer. Welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm joined today by two North Carolina court administrators who were directly in the path of Florence. Caitlin Emmons, trial court coordinator for the Superior Courts in Onslow, Sampson, Duplin, and Jones Counties, and Ellen Hancocks with the Cumberland County Superior Court in Fayetteville. We're talking today about continuity of court operations plans in the face of a catastrophic storm. What worked, and what lessons can we take away from the experience? Caitlin, let me start with you. Florence sat off the coast for days. When did you know Florence was going to be big and that it was going to affect your court? Well, let me start by saying, Peter, this was the first hurricane I had ever been through. Um, I come from California originally. We don't have hurricanes there. So um, I was terrified of it from the get-go, but I think when it really started to sit in and we realized just how big it was going to be and how much of an impact it was going to have was probably, I think for many of us, Monday um, before the storms. I believe that was September 10th. And we had gone to a few emergency planning committee meetings and it was beginning to look like this was not going to miss us. This was really coming and it was going to have long term impacts um, for the court and for the community. So, Ellen, before we talk about your court, uh, I want to know, how did you and your family fare with Florence? Well, I'm on the other side. Um, I'm from North Carolina and I've been through a lot of hurricanes, but this one was a little bit different. I was out of town. My second grandson was born 25 days early, so I had left on September 5th, flew to New Jersey, and was flying home on uh, September 11th. While I was gone, I'm reading all these accounts of this storm that's coming our way. So when I landed on the 11th, I had to get into high gear at home. My house is the Hurricane Evacuation Center. Uh, my daughter came from Charleston with her husband, her bunny, and her dog. My father and mother are 89 and 86, and I needed to go get my dad to bring them to my house. And the hardest thing this time was my uh, mother could not come. She was in a nursing home, and because of her mobility issues and her other health issues, it was more appropriate to leave her in the nursing home, but it's it's a hard thing to leave a family member during an emergency with someone else. And uh, that's the first time I've ever had to do that. Are not used to hurricanes, but we know how to prepare for them. So we had our food, the grocery stores were emptying out. We had ice, we have a gas grill. Uh, we have a generator that we bought in Hurricane Fran because we lost power in that hurricane for a week. So we invested in a, a generator 
and my husband knows how to operate one. So that's why my father and everybody came to our house because we could at least have a little bit of power. You can't run your whole house on one, but you can at least have some essentials. I landed, went to work on uh, Wednesday morning. They had already been talking about closing. And so we, we left. I had enough time to get to the office on Wednesday, talk to everyone, gather up all my contact information, send out the appropriate messages and lock down the office before we left at noon on Wednesday. Caitlin, how about your family? Did you stay or uh, did you evacuate? We absolutely evacuated. Um, I have a three-year-old who's now three and a one-year-old. So um, my three-year-old turned three right when we got back from our evacuation vacation, as we called it in our family. So we left, I want to say it was really early Wednesday morning. Um, and as Murphy's Law would have it, we had several incidents that uh, delayed us a little bit getting out of town. We had a kid throwing up in the back of the car the first time. Um, my one-year-old busted his lip open when we stopped for coffee. And we spent about nine hours on the road before we made it to Asheville. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with North Carolina geography, that drive should have taken about four and a half to five hours. Nine hours in, we had planned to make it all the way to Tennessee and we decided this isn't working. Um, we need to get off the road. So we stopped. Um, we were lucky enough to find an Airbnb in the mountains by Asheville and stopped there and pretty much watched the storm um, come through on the Weather Channel for the next week. So, Were the roads blocked with traffic or was it the storm that was holding you up? You know, um, I don't remember there being a whole lot of traffic. I, I know it was slow moving, but it wasn't quite as terrible um, as I had prepared for. I remember my boss, Judge Henry, telling me, you know, don't ever let your tank get below a quarter full. He's like, stop and get gas everywhere you can. You don't know when you're going to get stuck on that road. So I was very aware that we could end up in that situation. And I've seen coverage of other cities where they've done sort of mass evacuations and it just becomes... The roads become awful. But I think a lot of our delays were more the result of traveling with two children under the age of three and two dogs um, and more more human issues than than traffic issues. But there was definitely traffic on the road. Things were already starting to get wet. I think there was just a general sense of foreboding um, about the storm. So, Ellen, now Florence was just two years after Hurricane Matthew. I mean, had your court recovered from the previous hurricane? Well, fortunately, the courthouse wasn't, but I had a court reporter whose entire home was lost in Matthew. They live on her husband's family land that's a farm. They lost farm buildings. They completely lost their house. They had just rebuilt it when this hurricane came, and they lost it again. That's pretty devastating to see somebody you work with lose their home twice. But a lot of people here had not recovered from Matthew. Courthouse was fine, but a lot of the community still wasn't healed. Houses were um, still not rebuilt and repaired because what happens in that kind of mass disaster, insurance comes in, of course, and is trying to get money to people to repair. But there's not enough tradespeople to get all the work done at the same time. So you end up waiting for your house. My parents house repairs were not completed for Matthew when Florence hit. So a lot of people in rural North Carolina were still suffering from Matthew when this one hit. 
Caitlin, we all followed the national news, but how much different was it being there on site from what we saw on the nightly television broadcasts? Um, I think the news coverage, I mean, dramatic as it was, was fairly accurate. One of the things that, um, and again, this is coming from somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience with hurricanes, but one of the things that was unique about Florence was just how long it sat over the state of North Carolina. We didn't really, couldn't even really assess the damages that we were dealing with for days, if not, I mean, for some people, weeks, just because of the um, the constant rain, the winds, um, the flooding of the rivers. It just Basically, I don't want to say it was a blackout because obviously there were news crews there covering it, but we didn't really know how bad it was going to be for at least a week. Um, and like I said, we evacuated. So I watched a lot of it on the news with everybody else. I remember watching the Weather Channel, which I've, I've recently learned I should have watched more local news coverage and I would have gotten a, a, better, a better understanding of it. But I, I think to this day when I hear the Weather Channel come on and they've got this song that's kind of ominous before they talk about major weather events, I can still feel the anxiety I felt when we were watching it in Nashville because we just didn't know what we were going to come home to. We didn't know if we were going to have a house. We didn't know if our neighbors were going to have a house. I didn't know what was, I mean, the courthouse that I, my office is in is, over a hundred years old, I was pretty sure it would still be there. But um, the one that we have next door to us, which is where we do a lot of our district court stuff, is sort of built underground. It floods when we get an inch of rain or a foot of rain, let alone when we get three feet of rain. So it was just the unknown. And I think that was probably the hardest part was, yes, we know there's a storm. Yes, we can watch the storm on the news. Yes, we know there will be damage, but we don't know what it's going to be and how bad it's going to be. How bad was the flooding in your district court? It's our summer sill building, um, which I believe was built in the 60s or 70s. And it is unfortunately built kind of downhill from the old courthouse, which is where my office is. And it didn't flood right away. I don't think it actually flooded until the Sunday after the storm. That's when I think the river waters finally got high enough and it got about three feet of water. In addition to three feet of water, they also found there had been a raw sewage leak in the building. So it was just... It was disgusting one, and it was completely uninhabitable. We couldn't even go in to save things for days and weeks at a time. And now people did end up having to go in there. And um, our clerks, you know, once they got permission from the county, were diligently in there working to grab anything they could. And they had worked very hard before the storm to get files moved to safer locations, moved to higher ground, and moved to buildings where we were pretty sure were less likely to have that type of extensive water damage. Caitlin, I sure hope you had protective clothing on when you went into that building. I was fortunate enough to be spared from that, but I don't think the county let anybody in while there was still water present on the ground. And once they discovered that there had also been raw sewage, it was pretty much locked down after that. And you had to have a hazmat suit to go in there. And I don't think we let anybody from the clerk's office, or and I certainly didn't go in there, um, after that, until it had been cleared again for entry. And even then, you had to get county permission to enter the building. So how long did that last? Uh, that building is still closed. Even now? Yes, even now. So to be fair, when Somersill, the Somersill building was slated to close for construction in October of 2018, the storm came the middle of September And the destruction caused by the storm made it impossible to reopen the building. But we did have plans to gut the building and redo it. So in some ways, Florence sort of helped that process along. But it is still closed for construction. And it did delay the construction. And additionally, 
we're working on, a, well, at the time, we were also building a new courthouse, which is now open to the public. Um, but one of the issues with Florence that was not something I think any of us had thought of ahead of time was all of our construction workers, or at least a decent amount of them, were prevented from getting back into town after the um, evacuation orders had been lifted. And those who could get back into town, all of our hotels and motels um, and facilities were full of people who had been displaced by the storm. So you couldn't have construction crews coming in here and working and staying overnight because we just didn't have the space for them. So it, it did cause significant delays in both opening our new courthouse and also making any progress on the summer still building other than what Florence did by itself, washing out the entire bottom floor. So, so Ellen, how did your continuity of operations plan work when it kicked in? Uh, worked pretty well. I would say one thing about this, this particular storm that, surprised us on continuity is we've never had one last this long. We've never had a storm just sit on top of us for days. This storm moved between two and three miles per hour. Typically, a hurricane comes through and it's all, the event's over in a day, maybe two days. But here, we just, it was unrelenting. So that was a little different having to keep up the continuity plan longer in terms of getting out announcements and, and our communications. I think one of the things we learned was communication goes through the television stations originally, you know, saying when courthouses are closed. Our administrative office of the courts had launched a new website that made it a lot easier for us to report closings and did a much better job of communicating to the public about that. So we had a new system for that, which was great. But just in town, letting the lawyers know and folks we used the Cumberland County Bar's Facebook page was really helpful. So we used more social media this time around than we had done before. But part of that was just the length we were out. We've never been closed six days before. So you used television? the AOC website, and the BARS Facebook page. Which do you think worked best, and did you use any other forms? Well, with staff, a lot, we've always used text messaging, group text with our judges and our office staff. That's just our choice of how to do that. Mm -hmm. But it was very helpful to have the addition of social media and to have the public have more than one resource to go to to see if we were closed. Sometimes with television stations, and they have this long laundry list and scrawl of, of all these closings. You know, it's just overwhelming to sit there and have to, to sit and wait for all those things to come through, whether you're on your computer or whether you're watching your television. So uh, the speed of being able to use social media this time was really, really nice. Caitlin, with all the flooding to the Somersell building, uh, so what were the plans to get the court back into operation? Well, I can go ahead and say we closed for the storm um, the 11th at about noon. That was a Tuesday. We didn't reopen to the public until the 24th of September. So that means we were closed a full, I think, 10 working business, or sorry, excuse me, eight days of full court time. The courthouse, the Somerset building did not at any time public reopen to the public since the storm. Um, the Somerset building has been closed since noon on the 11th. Like I said before, our clerks were able to go in with county permission to get records out, to get copying machines out, to get equipment out, and then they had to be moved into alternate locations. So 
and that's specific to Onslow. One of the benefits that we have had here is that um, our county government has been fantastic in terms of providing alternate facilities. I don't think we um, had previously ever envisioned having to have six court sessions running off-site. Uh, we at any given time have four to six courts running. We went from having uh, six courtrooms to having one. So we were running five separate court sessions basically outside of our courthouse. So we had them at the police department, we had them at the sheriff's department, we had them at the Onslow County Consolidated Human Services Building, which also houses DSS. Our clerks had to move into um, what was previously our probation office. Um, we, we ended up having to use a lot of facilities outside of what I think we ever envisioned having to use. So when I've looked back at our continuity of operations plan, we didn't, in, we didn't imagine having to use that many facilities. I don't think it had ever really occurred to us that we would lose everything <laughs> except for one courtroom. So we have since modified our, our continuity of operations plan to account for having to run all of our courts in, in different buildings. Um, and I do want to say too, while I wasn't in charge of um, Jones County at the time the storm hit, Jones County is a small rural county and they still don't have access to their courthouse. And I don't mean just one building of their courthouse. I mean, their entire courthouse is still closed to the public. You know, they've how had to holding, relocate. How are they holding court? Uh, they most of the time hold their court in um, a government building that has, I want to say, seven offices and one room that's about double the size of my office. And I don't have a huge office, so please don't imagine like the grandeur of, of a real courtroom. It's, it's really just a, a small meeting room. And fortunately, they don't have a huge caseload, um, but they've had to adapt in ways I don't think any of them imagined having to do. And that's one of the things that's been probably the most impressive is that everybody has sort of come together and created solutions. Um, it's not just a matter of courts closed, we're going to move down the street and do something different. We've had to work with people in other offices. We've had to work with our county government. We've had to come up with a contingency plan for our contingency plan because there were weeks where DSS needed their conference rooms and we couldn't use them for court. So we had to come up with alternatives to our alternatives and figure out a way still to keep the public accessing the justice system because just because a storm comes doesn't mean that people don't need their cases decided. They don't, they still need protective orders. They still need their divorces. They still need eviction. They still need to find out what's going on in their criminal cases. The storm didn't stop the human need. It just caused us to adapt and to create basically a contingency plan for everything. Florence was the first of two hurricanes to barrel through the U.S. last fall. We'll learn more about Hurricane Michael after this short break. I'm Alice Roberts, and I enjoy working for Alaska's court system. It is both challenging and rewarding. One of the things I've come to appreciate while working here is my membership with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. The bonds I've developed with other court professionals through NACOM are invaluable. If you are not a member, consider joining NACOM today. If you are a member, I strongly encourage you to get more involved by joining a NACOM committee. You'll be glad you did. We're back. So not even a month went by, and both of you were hit by a second hurricane, Hurricane Michael. So this question is for both of you. How did your courts get through this second storm? Um... We I fared fairly well in Michael. I do remember um, one of the things that we had had to do when we shut down the first time was uh, we had to pull out the, sort of this plastic wrap and wrap everything in our offices that we couldn't move 
or, or weren't taking with us in, the, in plastic or trash bags. And I remember distinctly putting the plastic back out. It hadn't even been put away. It was still in my office. Putting the plastic back out over, um, over all of our equipment in my office. And while our courthouse didn't suffer significant damage during forms, uh, at least the old courthouse didn't, my office did have some flooding in it. There was some water that came through the ceiling. There was some water in the carpet. And all I could think was, okay, this is it. We're, we're done. There's no way we're getting through two storms without this ceiling caving in. And I'm happy to report the ceiling is still up there and they have not had to, they haven't replaced it yet. There's still significant water staining on it, but it has not come through. And we were very lucky. It was just the anxiety again, the sort of, are we really going to do this again? How can this possibly be happening less than a month later? So that's where we were at, but we didn't, in terms of the court facilities, we didn't suffer any significant damage from Michael. I think it was more of just a, a human, the human toll of it was we had made it through one storm. Are we really getting another one? Ellen, how about your court? Yeah, we, we didn't have any damage and we didn't lose any court time with this, but it's again that it's that, it's that <clears throat> mindset of, oh my gosh, here we go again. And, and you felt so bad because you were still seeing, you know, when the national news had moved on locally, you're still seeing all these people who are still displaced and having all of these issues. And it, it was just, it's the anxiety, the stress of going through it again. And, and there have been other times when we've had hurricanes close together. It doesn't happen very often, but it's, it's just overwhelming emotionally to have to prepare that close in time for two of them. Ellen, what sort of staff training does your court go through to prepare for disasters like Florence? Well, we're very fortunate, and I, I really think the secret to a good continuity plan is relationships. My judicial district regularly meets with the stakeholders. Um, that's something that they were Different judicial districts have gone up for this training at the North Carolina uh, School of Government. And so they learn, it's kind of a leadership and a communication skills workshop. And that helps, they, they meet once a month, which helps. And the ability to be able to have a great relationship with the county, which is what Caitlin mentioned. In North Carolina, the county is responsible for giving the state courts a courthouse. And so you really have to, if the county decides they're going to close the building, there's nothing we can do about it. So there, there are, um, we're just the tenant that's here. So having a good relationship with them and our county manager is just outstanding on the relationship with the EMTs, uh, emergency management. They use the courthouse as a staging area uh, for emergency management. That has to do with our location around the other government buildings. And so it's having a good working relationship and, and keeping abreast of who's in the job now. That's just critically important. We had, when this storm hit, we had a brand new clerk of court. Getting everyone up to speed when there's leadership changes is another crucial thing to making any continuity plan work. You just can't assume they're going to be aware that we have one and what it is. So you constantly have to, to meet and talk about it. Caitlin, you said you had to redo your continuity of operations plan after Florence, but what aspects of the plan worked well? 
Um, I would say how well our staff was able to work together. Our continuity of operations plan, which is still being updated, um, the last time it had been updated was 2016. So like Ellen said, um, not just in leadership in terms of staff changes, but any kind of level of staff changing um, affected our continuity plan. So making sure everybody was on the same page, getting information dispersed um, that was accurate was really important to us. So um, I think Ellen mentioned it earlier, but the administrative office of the courts did launch a new website in the last few months. And one of the things that we did feel worked really well was that we were able to go to them and say, these are our closures. This is what we have going on. And they did a mass rollout of that information. And they've worked really well with us since the hurricane in getting the information out about where we've had to relocate courts. Like Ellen said, it really does boil down to having a staff that can communicate with each other. That's flexible too. I will say that the motto here for a while was it's subject to change. And that was just, <laughs> yeah. we, that's what we would repeat was our mantra because, you know, people get rigid and stressed out when, when things are changing and it's hard to be flexible when you're stressed out. And so just reminding ourselves, look, every day we're going to pick every single day, one step at a time, and we're going to work through it and we're going to get there. And eventually this will be a funny story we tell on a podcast, but just being able to, to work with what you have um, and to work well with each other. So just again, communication, being able to know where to direct your communications to and who needs to know what, that was basically what we had to do in order to get everybody sort of on the same page, so. Did you have any legal issues? The yes. Chief Justice sent out um, a memo, which was very helpful because I, when that memo came out, I was just trying to uh, explain to a staff person about how we would count the days. Here, I'd assign all the extensions of time for discovery. And so, of course, once we finally opened back up and mail, of course, was all late and documents people had mailed in, you know, were now not timely. And when I said, well, I'm going to add to whatever it would be. I was going to add another six days. Well, the chief justice sent out a memo saying in these counties, that have been closed and this is happening, everyone gets extensions on whatever deadlines they would have had for another 30 days. And that was really helpful to have a standard so that all of us knew exactly what to do. And then there were other things like the judges, because even, I don't care how good your communication is, there's still some people that didn't know that their court date was now changed to some other date. And instead of a judge having them arrested for being called and failed for failing to appear, there was a sort of a grace period there for a little while because we realized that, you know, some people didn't get the information. Right. And I think that's really important too. One of the issues that we dealt with was, um, like I said, the change in location. So when we were finally able to reopen to the public, I, it was September 24th, people were showing up for court at the old courthouse where they were trying to get into the Somerset building, which wasn't accessible. And their court sessions were actually five miles down the road at the Onslow County government complex. So we had to work with people um, and we had to work with our judges and our DAs and our attorneys to make sure that we remembered that these are people, um, that right. court dates and calendars are really great, but that at the end of the day, these are human beings whose lives have been disrupted. And so being flexible and, and remembering the human toll of the hurricane. And I think that our, our judges were probably more lenient than they normally are with failures to appear as well. 
Um, I don't have the statistics on it, but I'd be curious to know if anybody who does sort of what what justice looked like a little bit differently during that time after the storm. Caitlin, didn't you also have people who couldn't get you didn't have any bus service to your. Right. So one of the things when we had to move our courts to the um, it's the Onslow County government complex, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's an important thing for court administrators to be aware of is that in North Carolina, you have to hold court within your county seat. And that means within the city limits of your county seat. So um, we have a beautiful government complex building and it is, has a Jacksonville address. Jacksonville is our, our county seat in Onslow County, but it is outside the official city limit. So we had to jump through some hoops to get to be able to use that facility. We, we were able to get the orders from the Supreme Court, which gave us authority to use that facility. Um, so we didn't run into any jurisdictional issues, but we did run into transportation issues because our city transport, the, the Jacksonville buses don't go outside the city limit. The county transportation services are only available to those who have previously qualified, which means they've, they've filled out paperwork and they've gone through a, an eligibility period people can't get that for on a temporary basis. So we would have people show up at the courthouse who had been dropped off, had used their last $10 on a on an Uber ride or a taxi ride, or had ridden their bike. And they thought they were in the right place. And we had to turn around and say, no, actually, you need to go, like I said, about five miles down the road to get to your court date. And so being understanding of those situations. So anytime I would personally talk to people downstairs, which I did a lot those weeks, I would make sure that I would try and send a message to the district attorney who was up at district court and say, look, this is who I talked to. I can tell you they were here at eight o'clock this morning for their court date, but they conveyed that they they weren't sure if they had a way to get to the Onslow County government complex. So be understanding and um, keep that in mind if they show up at 945 or if they don't show up at all, that there might have been access issues. So there's two parts to that is one, you might have to relocate your court to a place you didn't ever imagine having to go to. And two, you do need to be aware of the access issues. So I think that one thing we could have done better was figured out ahead of time, how do we get people to this location? Is there public transportation to this location? Um, if there's not public transportation, is there something we can do in the interim? I remember calling um, the Onslow County School District and saying, look, school's out. You've got all those school buses, and I'm sure you've got lots of people who would love to drive a school bus and get paid again. Is there any way we can use those? And I don't think I ever heard back from them about that. But, you know, being creative in solutions and trying to think outside the box, but knowing ahead of time, an access issue might arise if I move court five miles away from the downtown area and, and figuring out solutions to help people. Or if you can't come up with a countywide solution, being able to work with the DAs and the judges to make sure there's an understanding if that person shows up later, if that person doesn't show up, what was going on and how they checked in and, and just being aware of, of those types of situations ahead of time. Uh, this is a question for both of you. One criticism I've heard of these plans is that they don't take into account the human factor the effect on staff, and the effect on the court's customers. Do you think these plans can do that, and do you think they should? Um, I have two thoughts on that. One is that I don't think they're, I think that continuity of operation plans are systemic. Um, they are systems-based. They are looking at how to get a system back into place and get a system working. And to be completely honest, I don't think there is any way to build in a human factor that is going to be comprehensive in those because the reality is this storm affected everybody. It didn't matter where you were coming from. We have judges who lost their homes and we have 
the storm didn't discriminate in terms of who it was going to affect. And there's no way for a continuity of operations plan to account for every single thing that could go wrong in the personal lives of your clerks or your court reporter or your judges or your judicial assistants or your trial court coordinators. But again, it comes back to that it's subject to change and you have to be flexible. So yes, we want the system up and running. Um, yes, we want people to be able to access the court system in a timely fashion, but realizing that the flexibility is going to be critical there. And that, yes, people want to access the court system, but that doesn't mean that they don't also want to be at home putting up um, tarps over their roof. And and understanding that our court staff isn't immune to the storm um, and that they also need to keep in mind how what they need to be doing with their families and their homes. So I don't think there's necessarily a way to build it in to the continuity of operation plans other than to hit home every time you talk about the continuity of operation plans that you are dealing with humans and you are dealing with things you cannot control. So it is great to have a goal of reopening your courthouse for filings within 72 hours. But you also need to know that it's possible the clerk that you wanted to have do that needs to be at home with their children or needs to be dealing with something at home and, and keeping in mind that, again, it's subject to change and being flexible. But having those goals of, of reopening in a timely fashion is important and having those things to work towards are is important. That's sort of, I mean, I don't think there's a way, like I said, I don't think there's a way to, to put the human factor necessarily into the continuity of operations plans as they're written. But I do think that the people writing them and the people executing them can remember, look, these are people at the end of the day. And, and every single one of us is affected in one way or another by these storms. Because with Florence, even if you didn't have damage to your house, you might have had damage to your office or you might have been displaced for weeks because our evacuation orders were in place for over a week and you couldn't necessarily get home. So even if your home was fine, um, you may not have had power and <laughs> you may not have actually been able to get back to it because of the road closures or the mandatory evacuation that was in effect. It's just reminding ourselves these are people and this is that there is a human factor that we cannot control no matter how hard those of us who are in court management try. We can't control every single aspect of it. I agree with that. The uh, There's that domino effect and, and Caitlin talked about that. For example, schools. Well, most of the time the county uses school facilities as places for people who are displaced. That's their emergency center. People that can't evacuate, they're going to be staying and living in the schools. So so once we opened back up after six days, school was not back in session yet. So all your workforce who have school-aged children, you're not going to open back up with 100% staff. You can't just plan and say, okay, we're back up. We've got a place, so we're just going to make the dockets longer and it's going to work. You're not going to have a full staff. There's no way that's going to happen. And it's going to be for all the reasons Caitlin mentioned. They may not be able to get back to their home. They may be cut off or they have children they have to stay with, or, you know, there's a number of things. So I think you need a plan. And, and after the disaster is over, how are you going to kind of come back up to speed? It's not going to be overnight. And I will say, um, Ellen mentioned the fact that schools were closed. One of the issues that we ran into too is what's going to happen to these people who do have to come to court, where we normally um, in our district court buildings don't allow children. <laughs> are we oh, going to tell these people right. they can't bring kids in? So I remember... The day before we or the, the Friday before we reopened on the Monday, I told my boss, I said, look, I'm going to go out this weekend and buy crayons. And he looked at me. He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, we're going to have a lot of kids here. 
we need to have some cram. I was like that. We yep. need to keep these kids occupied because we're not going to keep them out of the courtrooms and we're not going to keep their parents out of the courtrooms. So it's just these these tiny little details that you would never think of ahead of time. So if anybody is listening and you are worried you're one day going to have to have kids in your courthouse when you weren't planning to, you can download coloring book pages online and go buy a pack of crayons. And even if you don't use them for the kids, give them to a stressed out attorney and let them color because sometimes we all just need to take a step back and realize there's nothing we can do to control it except work with what we have. And um, that's, that's what we did. Subject to change. Be flexible. Ellen, Caitlin, I've had a terrific time talking to the both of you, and you have certainly given us an awful lot to think about. Do you have any last thoughts? I think just be vigilant. Unfortunately, it looks like we're having more weather events no matter where you live in the country. And then we also, uh, it may not be a weather event. Uh, We have old infrastructure. Uh, You have buildings that, you know, you're going to be going through a courthouse. Uh, Hopefully you get to build a new courthouse someday. Uh, How you actually transition and do those things, none of that's really smooth. So there's a lot of other things to think about that could make you implement or use part of your continuity plan other than a natural disaster. Yeah, and I would just come back to the, it's subject to change. Be flexible. No matter what your plan says, uh, the universe will throw at you what it will. And you need to just work with what you have and work with the people that you have in your courthouse because they're your greatest asset. I want to thank Ellen and Caitlin for sharing their thoughts today. What they, their families, and their courts went through with Hurricane Florence was horrific, but their experiences and their insights offer us some very valuable lessons. A thanks again to both of you. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast series on courts and court administration. Look for new episodes the third Thursday of every month. Today's podcast will be available at nakemnet.org, on Facebook, and on Twitter. If you have any questions or comments about today's podcast, request more information through our website, nakemnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of the National Association for Court Management, our guests, and myself, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Managers.